Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Roomy Force Calf Cube. Maximize calf performance and health at grass by optimizing the function of the rumen. Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk program with John O'Connor. Later in the program, details regarding a conference in Maynooth on Saturday, 18th of November, highlighting key issues affecting agriculture and rural development. We hear from the Minister of State for European Affairs and Defence, Peter Burke, TD. Mr. Aidan Brennan, Dairy Editor, Irish Farmers Journal, on Dairy Day 2023. Mr. Shane O'Hanlon, Dairy Advisor, Chagas in Canturk has some relevant data for farmers. But our top story, Dairy Gold, our sponsor, has maintained the October quoted milk price at 33.5 cents per litre, based on standard constituents of 3.3% protein and 3.6% butterfat, inclusive of sustainability and quality bonuses and VAT. The October milk price equates to an average October farm gate milk price of 44.2 cents per litre, based on average October milk solids achieved by Dairy Gold milk suppliers. The quoted milk price for October, based on EU standard constituents of 3.4% protein and 4.2% butterfat, is 36.6 cents per litre. A company spokesperson commented, quote, that global milk markets had shown continued signs of stabilisation in recent weeks based on a rebalancing of supply and demand. The Dairy Gold Board will continue to closely monitor markets and review milk price on a month-by-month basis. Dairy Gold confirming the October milk price. Hello, my name is Laura and I am bringing you the Carberry Mocker News. Last weekend, all roads led to Burr in County Offaly as members travelled to support Katie Shannon of Kilmeen Mocker, who represented the Carberry region in the Queen of the Land Festival. Well done to Katie on being such a great representative for the region and a great weekend of music and entertainment was had by all. Congratulations to Cora Mocker, who won the Carberry round of the men's indoor soccer competition and to Banga Scarshi, who won the ladies' competition. Both teams will now go forward to represent the region in the national final. Mockerna Farmer Nationally hold a Young Farmers Development Group roadshow throughout the country during the month of November. Please check social media to see the dates for the venue near you. It's also now time to get those Christmas lights ready as Bantry Mockerna will hold a Christmas lights tractor run on Sunday the 26th of November. Sign-on is from 12pm in Bard's Yard Bantry, leaving at 2pm. There will be a prize for best lights display on the day and all proceeds will be going to Cork Ark and Bantry Hospice Project. Kilmeen Mockerel will also be holding a Christmas light tractor run on the 10th of December at 6.30pm in Totsbar, Ballygartine. There will be a prize for the best lights display on the night and all proceeds will be going to the Irish Cancer Society. On Sunday, the 3rd of December, the Capers competition will be held in the Beda Hall. Time to be confirmed and our social media pages nearer the time. Everyone is welcome to come along and enjoy this night of music, song and comedy. So as you can see, Carberry Mockra has something for everyone and they are clubs located from Inishannon to Beira, so there is bound to be one near you. So if you or someone you know is between the ages of 17 to 35 and is interested in joining or would just like some more information, 
Please get in touch through our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you. And thank you, Laura. Laura Woods reporting on Macra Affairs from the Carberry region. ICSA President Mr Dermot Kelleher has expressed dismay over the agreement arising from the Trilogue EU Commission, Parliament and Council negotiations on the proposed EU nature restoration law. Mr Kelleher said it's clear that the strong view arising from the EU Parliament committees and plenary sessions has been sidelined in favour of the EU Commission original regarding rewetting. But this view, he said, had been set aside in negotiations between Commission, Council and Parliament. The ICSA president warns this puts Irish MEPs who voted for the European Parliament position in a very awkward situation, as the final document will refer to the EU Parliament, and they'll be forced, he claimed, to make a decision on a regulation that is very far from the safeguards they claimed they had obtained. Mr. Kelleher went on to say, while targets for rewetting are not as onerous as the original EU Commission proposal at a member state level, the fact remains that many farmers are horrified at the potential implications if they're forced to rewet land or the knock on impact of adjoining land in state or other ownership being rewetted. Mr. Kelleher said that the ICSA was also concerned that the difficult question of how nature restoration would actually be paid for remains unresolved. He points out, under no circumstances may CAP be used. The reality is, he claims, that in some cases the nature restoration law proposals have profound implications for the value and viability of farms. The West Cork-based ICSA National President said this could not be compensated for by derisory sums paid on a short-term basis. The question of compulsion has not been taken out either. Farmers increasingly feel that the powers in Brussels and Dublin are chipping away at their hard-won land ownership rights in this and other examples of emerging policy. Mr Kelleher said the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association, ICSA, is calling on MEPs to oppose this in the final plenary vote of the European Parliament, given that the agreed trilogue position of the Parliament has all but been ignored. He said it must be recalled that two of the European Parliament committees outright opposed the proposal, and the only proposal capable of getting a majority in the Parliament was barely passed, and on the basis of significant modifications with it. Mr Kelleher said it seems to him now that the Commission does not actually respect the democratic mandate of the European Parliament in its zeal for driving through the Green Deal with no balancing concern for food security. Part of a statement there from the West Cork-based Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association National President Mr Dermot Kelleher. The EU Commission decision on renewal of glyphosate is the right call according to the IFA. IFA National Grain Chair Mr Kieran McAvoy said the decision by the European Commission on Thursday, November 16th, 2023, to renew the approval of glyphosate subject to conditions for a further 10 years is a very positive development for Irish and EU agriculture. Mr McAvoy said access to glyphosate products is critical for Irish and EU tillage farmers, particularly with an ever-increasing focus on reducing emissions from agriculture. Mr McAvoy went on to say increased utilisation of cover crops, greater use of multi-species swords in grassland and reduced tillage establishment methods are simply not possible without glyphosate herbicides. 
An IFA delegation travelled to Brussels on Wednesday, November 15th, to meet with Irish MEPs, as well as with representatives of Commissioner McGuinness's Cabinet, to highlight the critical importance of continued access to glyphosate products for farmers. The IFA National Grain Chair concluded by saying the IFA felt it was vital to travel over to Brussels in person this week to highlight the importance of the glyphosate issue. They also took the opportunity to highlight the need to ensure proposals under the Sustainable Use Regulation did not threaten the viability of the Irish tillage sector ahead of a plenary vote on the regulation next week, part of a statement there from the IFA National Grain Chair, Mr Kieran McAvoy. And IFA Grain Chair Kieran McAvoy has welcomed news of support payments for growers with unharvested crops announced by the Minister of Agriculture, Food and the Marine on Wednesday, November 15th. Mr McAvoy said growers will be eligible for up to €20,000 in aid payments for crops which were unable to be harvested due to the very unsettled weather conditions in September and October. ICSA National Beef Chair Mr Edmund Graham, in welcoming the achievement of the PGI status for Irish grass-fed beef, has said there is now no excuse when Irish beef prices are not above the EU average. Mr Graham said in both 2022 and 23 to date, the second half of the year has seen Irish prime R3-grade cattle lower than the EU average for young bulls. Mr Graham said in recent weeks we had seen a negative differential of over 30 cents a kg between Irish and EU prices, which he said was a sorry reflection on our ability to market our beef and deliver a dividend for the efforts by so many farmers in participating in the SBLAS S-plus Quality Assurance Programme. Mr Graham said the PGI status is delivering substantial premium bonuses to all sorts of EU products and it's now essential that we see this reflected in our beef offerings to EU outlets. He said proof would be in the pudding in terms of price paid to farmers following the PGI ruling. He said the ICSA would expect to see the 70 cents kg fall in price in May reversed in the coming months and the PGI status should be aggressively used to achieve this. Mr Graham said Minister McConnell would not be judged on the achievement of the PGI status but on how he ensures it's managed to deliver a better return for the primary producer. The PGI status applies to Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr Aidan Brennan, Dairy Editor Irish Farmers Journal. First of all, Aidan, welcome to the programme. Now, very important, the Irish Farmers Journal reminds people about this huge dairy event taking place. Yes, John, Dairy Day is taking place next Thursday, the 23rd of November, in Porky Quays in Cork City. So it's a, really a dairy extravaganza, you could say. We've over 70 trade stands, all selling products and services that are of interest to dairy farmers. Plus, we've got two stages. Uh, we're, we're to be live talks, seminars and discussions taking place throughout the day. So there's over, over 12 panel sessions in total taking place. Uh, so really something for everybody in terms of cutting costs, um, dealing with the fallout from the nitrates directive, running a family farm and, uh, and, and, and the do's and don'ts that are involved in that, plus a whole myriad of other subjects and topics such as how can farmers become better ambassadors for the industry. Uh, other topics include discussions on, on milk price, which is a very topical subject at the moment. So we have panellists from the Irish dairy industry, or NUA, and indeed overseas analysts 
market's going to talk and give their perspective on where milk prices are going to be for 2024. Finding ways to cut costs. Now, you're going to chair a special get-together on that uh, concept of trying to find ways to cut costs. No matter how hard you've worked, still people on closer examination will find perhaps another way of cutting costs. But in the Irish Farmers Journal, by way of a taster in advance, you write extensively in a couple of articles regarding various topics, but not least, finding ways to cut costs. That seems to be at the core of everything. Yes, John. So if you take what happened last year at milk price, milk price went very, very high, over 55 cents per litre, but and cost of production, so input costs also increased. The problem now is milk price has fallen and input costs stayed more or less the same. So the margin on farm, that dairy farmers are making is being squeezed constantly. Hence, there's a big focus now on reducing cost of production on dairy farms. And that's something we're going to cover extensively, as you say, at Dairy Day on the 23rd of November. Banks, of course, have a very important role in terms of lending and advising people. One key aspect will be assessing investment decisions. You'll be sitting down with Mr. Michael Murphy, Agri-Advisor with AIB, regarding investment decisions. And that's something, again, in the journal in advance you cover. But very important, the link between proper investments, wise investments, and all the up-to-date information you can get. Not all investments for dairy farmers are are the right ones. It depends a lot on, on the stage of, of development and, and timing and all that. So, I mean, we're looking here at, um, at, at, at you know, at, at assessing the different investment options, such as, you know, computers, calf feeders, robots, extending the milking parlor, buying land, leasing land. Not all of those investments are right for farmers at different times of, of, of their own, of their, of their development. That's that it's a topic for discussion. Um, definitely, look, there's no rights and wrongs in it. I think it's good to have the discussion and that could be held at area day. And team building, very important. Do we find uh, human relations, you know, when a team is working as one unit and there's a um, good interchange of views and people are motivated. So team building, that's something that sounds very ordinary, but never to be taken for granted. Team building, that'll come under the microscope at the Dairy Day. We're fortunate to have three excellent speakers there. Niall Murphy, a court man, originally is now farming in Missouri in the United States. He's coming over to share his views. We have Paddy Kelly, a farm consultant, and we also have Colin Donnery, who's the CEO of the Farm Relief Services. So the three of those people are giving their perspective on how to build a high-performing farm team. And I suppose the farm team is not just about employees in the farm. It's also wider than that. So we're looking at vets, uh, the banks, co- uh, the co-op, the, 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 the merchant, um, the advi- agricultural advisor, and also the accountant. They're all part of the team. And, of course, the farm contractor as well, because oftentimes they're doing work that would ordinarily be done by the farmer or for, for farm employees. So it's about, it's about making sure that each of those players are well prepped, they're, they're working at the top of their game, and they're all working together, which is you know important for farmers to be operating efficiently and profitably. Succession, continuity, and the need for younger people to become involved in farming. In the press recently, an impression was given, rightly or wrongly, that at school, farming and the positive aspects of agriculture weren't highlighted enough, and people, younger people, at the stage where they were committing themselves to a career in the future, that agriculture didn't seem to be made that attractive. But again, careers in dairy, that's something which is going to be very much to the fore at Dairy Day 2023. And indeed, in the journal, education options uh, for young people in farming, that's covered. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a very important subject. So we, we have, uh, I suppose, people running courses in Chagas and also UCC speaking on us. So Frank Buckley uh, from UCC, Emma Louise Coffey from, from Chagas, 
speaking about their uh, the courses they have to offer within within agriculture, but it's also looking at, at dairy farming as a career choice. And I think that's often overlooked as you know dairy farming is actually a really rewarding career. You're working with animals, you're working with nature. It's a profitable business to be in. There's a bright future for dairying in Ireland. So Liam Hanrahan, who's a dairy farmer from, from Clare, is going to be given his perspective on, on how life is as a dairy farmer. And I suppose we're encouraging people you know, into the sector because it's, you know, farmers find, most farmers I speak to, John, I'm not sure about yourself, but they find farming a very rewarding career. And I think that's the message that we don't, that we don't hear enough about. So that'll be discussed again at Dairy Day. I think we could say, Aidan, that innovation will be to the fore at Dairy Day 23. You might please remind our listeners the date is taking place, the venue, and whether people need to register or not in advance. Yes, John. So 23rd of, the, 23rd of November, which is a Thursday, next Thursday, it's on uh, in, at Corky Queen in Cork. There's parking available at the Goulding's Fertilizer Yard at, at the Centre Park Road. We have a shuttle bus there. It's free entry for all subscribers of the Farmers' Journal and farmers who uh, and readers who buy the journals can take three tokens from the, uh, the last three journals with them and they also get free entry. Otherwise, it's 20 euros a ticket, but most farmers will be getting in for free. It's a great day out. Over 70 trade stands, 12 uh, seminars, two stages. It's a wonderful day out uh, in, in the confines of Parky Queen Stadium. In this week's Irish Farmers Journal, there is a 24-page guide, including the exhibitor profiles, a very clear map, etc., and a fascinating list of articles. But thank you very much indeed for your valuable time. Mr. Aidan Brennan, Dairy Editor, Irish Farmers Journal. Thank you, Aidan, very much indeed. Thank you, John. You're very welcome. We are joined on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme by Ms. Valerie O'Sullivan, Branch Manager, PTSB in Mallow. First of all, Valerie, welcome to the programme. You might uh, tell our listeners to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme something about your own background and PTSB and, I think, some recent rebranding. Hello, John, and thank you for having me. My name is Valerie O'Sullivan, branch manager, PTSB Mallow. And rightly, as you said, you may have heard we recently rebranded to PTSB, launching a new brand name, and visual identity. PTSB have organised a forthcoming event. Would you please tell our listeners everything about this very important event uh, upcoming? Uh, PTSB, Mallow and McCroom branches, we're having a team event around successful planning for your future and looking at what does success look like. We have four key speakers on the night. Patrick Ryan, Business Banking Manager from PTSB, Robert Place, tax consultant from FTC Tax Department. We also have Maureen O'Mahony, senior wealth management consultant, Irish Life Financial Services. And finally, Cormac Nyan, solicitor from Frank Nyan and Associates in Mallow. The date is the Wednesday, the 22nd of November from 7.30. And venue it is being held in Springford Hall Hotel in Mallow here in Cork. Success will look different for everyone, but it's what's key to getting there is having a personal plan that's tailored to your individual needs and will enable you and your business meet and exceed your objectives for the future. Now, just to repeat the speakers, I understand from what you've said, Valerie, There'll be Patrick Ryan, Mr. Patrick Ryan, PTSB business manager, business banking manager. And then from FTC tax consultants, Mr. Robert Place, the FTC tax department. 
and Mairead O'Malley, Senior Wealth Management Consultant, Irish Life Financial Services. And again, very important to have the advice from Mr Cormac Nine, Solicitor, Frank Nine and Associates. I think they're based in Malibu, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, um, both Robert and Cormac are based here in Mallow, and Cormac is um, solicitor with Frank Nyan Associates here in Mallow Town. Could you please remind our listeners about the date for this event, the time it starts, and the, the venue? Um, it is on Wednesday, the 22nd of November, from 7.30pm in Springford Hall Hotel in Mallow. So, Valerie, essentially, PTSB in Mallow and McCroom branches, they're inviting all listeners to a double-header information evening, financial and succession planning, and also posing the question, what does success look like in your own case? What should you be planning for? No need to register, just turn up. Yes, John, we're really looking forward to the opportunity to meet customers, whether new or existing, from across Mallow and McCroom communities. So I'd encourage your listeners to come along on Wednesday, the 22nd of November from 7.30 to get to know us and hear some valuable hints and tips from our panel of experts and how to create the best succession plans for your individual needs. And finally, John, if anyone would like further information, they can ring myself on 87 396 it starts from 7.30pm in Springford Hall Hotel on the 22nd of November. Thank you very much indeed, Valerie. Valerie O'Sullivan, Branch Manager, PTSB in Mallow. Thank you, John. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk Programme, Minister of State for European Affairs and Defence, Deputy Peter Burke, TD. First of all, Deputy Burke, Minister, welcome to the Farm Programme. Now, a very important event is being organised by your party. Would you please remind our listeners of this big event and the date? Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be on the programme. So we're going on Saturday the 18th. We're having a conference which we're really looking at all aspects of rural Ireland, and particularly for the agricultural community, we're going to have a look at a number of areas in terms of farm succession, tax relief in terms of how you plan for the future, food security, and also in relation to capital investment in rural Ireland, because we're very key to monitor the rollout of our national broadband plan. Many of your listeners will be aware of the infrastructural changes they have seen before their eyes over the last uh, number of months and years. And we want to really keep that at pace. We've about 165 billion euro over the next decade to get into rural communities. And this conference is really looking at our investment program, talking to members. And one key aspect of the event is trying to give members of our party more of a say and more power. So we'll be looking at reforming the role of the member to ensure that they have a say and a greater say in the operations of the party. Now, Minister Burke, you'll be aware that the meat industry, beef production, it's a very tight margin enterprise, but I presume you would warmly welcome the announcement that PGI status, that's grass-fed beef status, has been awarded to Ireland. So the PGI status, that's something I presume you would uh, very warmly welcome. We have a huge, strong asset in this country as a grass-based industry. I come from a, a suckler farm myself, grew up on it, know the challenges that farmers face, but also know our unique selling point right around the world and the efficiency by way of which we can produce our product. And that's why it's very important in Ireland that 
the agri-industry is supported because it does its business so well and has a unique advantage ahead of other regions, which they have a larger carbon footprint in carrying out and producing their produce. So that's a very huge positive aspect for Ireland. And obviously the government will very much continue to support the agri-sector to keep that efficiency going and improvements that we see new technologies coming into farming and how much farming has evolved over the last decade. Regarding the controversial 250 kg derogation, now people in Cork, quite a large number of farmers in Cork, have this uh, derogation to 50 kgs, but they feel it's going to be lost. Is there still hope? Is it still worth fighting for? Because you'll find uh, some local TDs and uh, farm organisations, they haven't uh, thrown in the towel yet. They still feel a good case can be made for people to retain the 250 kg where they have it. I know the Commissioner, we're awaiting his determination on it to come over and have a meeting, but we are definitely facing an uphill struggle. And I think we have to be very honest with your listeners on that. Obviously, the EPA have made a determination on the water quality not improving quickly enough, and in some areas of the country it has reduced significantly, and we have to try and improve it. So where I think the big battle is to retain the current derogation that we have now, because we need to be looking at the next horizon into the future that we do retain it. But it will be a challenge to hold on to the recent reversal. We're trying our very best in terms of fighting that case uh, with the European Commission. But the challenge is great, and I think we have to be honest with people in relation to that. But we'll wait and see what the Commissioner says when he comes over and meets uh, the Taoiseach and some of the ministers in the government. Now, Progress uh, Minister with the EU Nature Restoration Negotiations and the EU Nature Restoration Plan and Programme Do you feel that's something the farmers uh, should be concerned about? Because I know that some farm organisations are deeply concerned about the nature restoration law, the reef flooding, etc., etc. Land which was um, saved, so to speak, by previous generations now must be re-flooded. So your thoughts on that EU nature restoration uh, negotiations uh, phase? Well, I think there's a huge amount of scaremongering attached to the nature restoration law because in the first instance, like what happens in Europe, there's a trilogue process, and that involves the European Council, which is the mothership, which is the prime ministers, the council, which is essentially the ministerial council that meets the European Commission and the Parliament. So all those areas come and draft up a separate piece of legislation in this area. And obviously the European Commission had a very strong draconian law that would have seen compulsory takeover of land, and the government was very much against that, And our Taoiseach fought a very hard case in the European Council to ensure that the agreed version is significantly more friendly for farmers. No one is going to be forced to do anything. There's enough of state land at the moment to ensure that we easily get out in terms of our re-wetting obligations under the revised terms. So I think the important thing is to provide solutions. So many people can throw stones and point about, you know, scaring about the initial uh, trilogue, but the work that has been done has really improved this law to make it fit better into a rural environment and an Irish agricultural environment. I think that work really has stood us to good good steed in terms of how our diplomatic corps works right across uh, the European Union. Now, Minister, we know the importance of keeping things like BSE and uh, other infections out of Ireland, but a blue-tongue case has been reported from the UK. Should we really be extremely careful now about importing animals from the UK? Well, I think nowadays farmers are exceptionally vigilant, and that's one strong area that we have in terms of 
the internal controls and safeguards that are currently exist in this state. And obviously, any new prevalence of any disease has to be monitored, has to be watched. We really remember, I suppose, back uh, when we had in 2002 the foot and mouth saga and the huge challenges that we faced in connection with it. But I would be confident in terms of the safeguards that we have there. Obviously, our veterinary office team in the Department of Agriculture will monitor this very closely. And they really operate in an abundance of caution that if there is any risk assessment done that suggests there is a danger for us, we would take action at that stage. But at the moment, it's been monitored. It's an isolated event, as far as I understand. Now, people in forestry, some people, some farmers and forestry people and ACA, they say that a progress with implementing a proper forestry programme is far too slow and efforts have to be redoubled and linked again to the risk of infection from outside the state, in this case a close neighbour but nonetheless a non-EU country, Scotland, the bark beetle. Do you feel at this point we ought to, despite our friendly relations with Scotland, ban all timber imports from Scotland? In the first instance, I would say that we have a huge body of work to do in relation to forestry, and I do take those criticisms on board. We have to do better. Uh, Our planning process is pretty slow in terms of how we deliver felling licenses, and indeed, when someone is deciding to plant their land, there can be huge objections which are taken by third-party objectors. I think, as a country, we have to really sharpen up and be honest with ourselves in terms of the obligations we need to meet to really reform a more sustainable environment. So I think the government has to play its part more vigorously in relation to that. I know they're working hard in the Department of Agriculture in the forestry section to try and bring about that change because it will be very, very important that we do sharpen up in relation to that. Obviously, in terms of invasive species and diseases, we are trying to contend with ash dieback. You'll be very well aware and your listeners will be and trying to set up a scheme in connection with it. So we do know the challenge in relation to invasive species and diseases when they get into our community in terms of our tree population, they have huge consequences. And at the recent weather events, we saw that trees that have been infected with ash dieback, so many of them falling and posing huge dangers to road users. So we have to be very much at the forefront now and very vigilant in relation to any diseases that happen in tree populations. But it is a challenge because it can be, no matter what restrictions one does impose, I'm not suggesting that we should impose any at the moment. You know, we are so close neighbours with the UK, it can be difficult to keep, unfortunately, these these diseases out, irrespective of what safeguards we put in. And my question regarding dissatisfaction with the forestry programme was prompted in part by the publication of a paper on farm forestry. It's entitled putting landowners front and centre, written by forestry and land use experts Fionn Russell and Andy Dunn. They have about 60 years of collective experience working in the sectors, and they point out, uh, again, it's been often quoted, they say that the forestry programme, outlined in 2022, running till 2030, was designed to provide 8,000 hectares of forestry each year. However, just 2,000 hectares of forestry per annum is currently being delivered. So, obviously, there you would agree there's room for improvement, but the government are aware of that, and they're taking all the action they can. No, absolutely. I think you're quite right. There is room for improvement. What it does mean is towards the latter half of the decade is going to really leave us with a mountain to climb to scale up to that 8,000. I do know that Minister Charlie McConnell has made changes at a recent cabinet meeting trying to improve the planning process and also in terms of 
the adjudication and how felling licenses are approved through the department, that really has to be fast-tracked. And also, those who enter into forestry have to be looked after. And what I mean by that is that those who have their plantations infected with ash dieback, we need to be a little bit quicker at getting those schemes up to look after farmers in that regard, because if they get a sour taste in their mouth and feel that, you know, they have been left behind even doing the right thing and to have their plantation infected, they will be put off from doing it in the future. So we need to work a lot harder in relation to forestry. I would accept that. But I do think we are getting there. I would like the pace to pick up, but I think we're going in the right direction now. Would you please remind our listeners of the date and venue for the Finnegale Party Conference? Come forward to uh, Saturday the 18th in Minute to really have a very good, strong conference looking at all areas of rural Ireland, as I said, from tax relief, farm succession, food security and all the different programmes and capital programmes in rural Ireland. Minister, you'll be familiar with the controversial, in many quarters, the controversial decision by the European Union to grant a 10 years extension for glyphosate to be used. Now, glyphosate, the World Health Organization, has uh, pointed to what they see as uh, possible carcinogenic uh, risks there. And uh, in general, in the farming community, they feel it's an indispensable chemical in many ways, no real substitute. But how do you feel that glyphosate uh, retention permission for 10 years, is that something you can give an unqualified welcome to? Well, we have to put faith in the scientific community as well in relation to the European Union that adjudicates on pesticides and all the various different Uh, chemicals that farmers have to use from time to time. But I hope science is improving that we can get better methodologies. But at the moment, I think we have to uh, put our faith in the process that is there through Europe. Notwithstanding that there can be concerns raised about various different chemicals, if it was a case that there was a proven scientific link, I think it would be a game changer in terms of its usage. But at the moment, once it's licensed by the European Union, the threshold is pretty significant in terms of the tests it has to go through. So I would be hopeful in the future that we will improve our ways to do uh, our business. And I've no doubt that, obviously, science does evolve over time and we get better methodologies, but at the moment it's one of a a crucial uh, part for usage. Thank you very much indeed. Minister of State for European Affairs and Defence, Mr Peter Burke TD. Peter, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a million for your valuable time. Thank you very much. No bother. Thanks a million. You're welcome. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr Shane O'Hanlon, Chagas Dairy Advisor in the Canturk Office of Chagas. First of all, Shane, welcome to the programme. Now, in your area, or even nationally, are you aware of any upcoming events which our listeners would find of interest and indeed uh, possibly find very useful? So, any upcoming events? Yes, John. Um, there are a number of national events happening in the next number of weeks. Um, so firstly, we have the 2023 National Beef Conference um, on next Tuesday, the 21st of November at 5 o'clock in the evening in the Shearwater Hotel, Banlasloe, County Galway. Um, following that, we have the 2023 National Dairy Conference, which will take place on Wednesday, November the 29th in the Lyrat Hotel, County Kilkenny. The theme of this year's conference is Adapting to a Changing Dairy Farming Environment. I suppose this year has been very challenging for dairy farmers in terms of stubbornly high costs, reduced milk revenue, um, delay, l- lack of labour and labour availability, and I suppose uncertainty regarding future compliance requirements. 
So I suppose this dairy conference offers farmers um, a great opportunity to discuss and debate the issues potentially facing them next year with industry peers and fellow farmers. Um, more details are available on the Target's website where there is a facility to register for both of these conferences. And just to mention, John, as well, um, there is a new part-time Green Start course starting this December 2023 between the Mallow and Fermoy Target's offices covering all the North and East Cork area. Um, this course is accredited by QQI Level 5 and 6. Apart from gaining all the agricultural foundation knowledge and the most up-to-date practical and technical skills and knowledge, the Green Cert is also required for a young farmer stamp duty release and farm succession. Um, the Green Cert is also required for young farmer Department of Agriculture schemes, such as the Young Farmer TAMS Tree 60% Capital Investment Scheme and Woman TAMS Tree Capital Investment Scheme. So I suppose anyone looking for information or to enrol in this course um, should contact Noreena Rahley, course coordinator. Um, they can do this by contacting their local Chagas office or they can contact Noreen directly on 087-657-2262. That's 087-657-2262. With recent weather conditions and decreasing milk yields and herds, drying off cows has started. Are there any ways of managing body condition score over an extended dry period? I suppose, John, acting early and having a plan really is the best way to manage body condition score over a longer than usual dry period. Um, as, as it's well known, wet weather has forced the housing of cows on a full-time basis nearly a month earlier than normal in a lot of cases. I suppose this coupled with a dramatic fall-off in milk volume had some cows at the point of drying, drying off much earlier than expected. Um, from a cost point of view, it makes sense to dry off cows that aren't covering their, their costs, but the impact of this it could potentially cause um, increased body condition and, as a result, could have further consequences at Cavi in 2024. So I suppose body condition score will have to be managed to ensure that the majority of the cows on the farm calve at the correct condition to minimise difficult calvings, ketosis and milk fever. Shane, coming to optimum body condition score, what actually is the optimum body condition score for cows at calving? And indeed, how can this be achieved? So the target body condition score for cows at calving is 3.25, with 0.25 units above or below this point acceptable. So I suppose individual cow condition will need to be managed. So how is this done? This will have to be, I suppose cows will have to be grouped accordingly, um, to their body condition score and they will have to be fed appropriately so they'll either have to be fed, fed to maintain present condition or reduce condition if they're already over conditioned so keeping this in mind that over a standard 60 to 70 day dry period cows <clears throat> at a body condition score of 2.75 at drying off will eat re- should eat reasonable quality silage at a DMD of 68 to 70 percent and if, it, if this is achieved, they should have no problem reaching optimal range of body condition score calving. I suppose the problem occurs if these cows are longer than the standard dry period, they are at risk of becoming over-conditioned. Um, I suppose where they have access to higher quality silage, they will have a higher intake potential. <clears throat> so I suppose cows will just eat more 
more of it. Um, I suppose this this high quality silage should really be kept for this this spring um, and made available to fresh cows after calving. But if that's not an option, I suppose high, this high quality silage may have to be restricted, or maybe <clears throat> straw might have to be introduced as part of the diet. But I suppose the the important thing there is talk to your to your advisor and maybe practical ways of of managing the diet over the dry cow period. You referred there to silage, of course, and the quality of silage, naturally enough. Could you indicate uh, some of the main tips for assessing silage quantity and, very important, the quality of that silage? Yeah, so I suppose, um, as as already said, John, heavy rain over the last number of weeks has forced a lot of dairy farmers to house early. And I suppose silage is now the main part of the cow's diet, and it's probably a lot earlier than expected. So I suppose silage quality in general this year may be questionable due to poor weather conditions over the summer months and there weren't an awful lot of opportunities to make that high quality dry dry, dry cow feed. Um, so I suppose doing a silage test is a simple cheap test that will give you valuable information on this year's feed and I suppose the best guidance is how to, how to deal with this silage and how to feed it. I suppose in terms of quality for dairy cows and milk and growing heifers, uh, you'd be lucky at a DMD there should be 72%. And for fresh cow- freshly calved cows, that should be a bit higher, around 75% DMD. As I already mentioned, um, for dry cows requiring maintenance just to maintain body condition score, um, you'd be looking at silage there in a region of 60, between 68 and 70% DMD. Um, I suppose research shows that the national average silage samples, the DMD usually typically comes back around 66%. So overall, it is likely that most farms have some silage um, of this value. Now, we may be slightly overlapping, but I think very important to reinforce the point regarding your silage test result. Now, what are the main indicators to be looking out for when you look at a silage test result? You know, analysing the result, looking for the main things that would be of greatest importance when you do receive the results of your silage test. Yeah, so I suppose there's a number of indicators that you're looking from your silage test, John. Um, so I, I suppose the, percent, the dry matter percentage of the sample is basically just explaining how, I suppose, how well the silage is soiled um, and how dry the sample is. And as well, the pH of the sample will also determine how well preserved the silage is. Um, I suppose you can also look at the DMD of the silage, the dry matter digestibility. You'll be looking at the crude protein and the energy or UFL value of the silage. And I suppose all these indicators determine the quality of silage and, I suppose, its feeding value, its overall feeding value. Thank you very much indeed, Mr Shane O'Hanlon, Chagask Dairy Advisor in the Canturk Office of Chagask. Thank you, Shane, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thanks, John. You're very welcome. And that's our Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme for now. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to all who contributed to the programme this week, including the guests and Barry O'Mahony, news editor, 96FM and C103 News, plus Marie Tuig, that is 6 and C103 news reporter and news reader. Marie creates the regular Farm Talk podcasts available on C103 homepage. The Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, every Saturday, 7am to 8am in the mornings, and Wednesday evenings, 10pm to 11pm. 
A special word of appreciation for you, the listener, for tuning in. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold. Choose Gold Performance Pack. Includes biotin, yeast and protected minerals to reduce lameness, boost milk solids and fertility.